Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corrine Pettit, and I'm interviewing Dr. Benjamin Lockshin, who is a nationally recognized dermatologist with Derm Associates in Rockville and Silver Springs, Maryland, which specializes in the treatment of a variety of skin diseases, including psoriasis. Dr. Lakshin is a past member of the National Psoriasis Foundation's Board of Directors and also past chair of the Foundation's Research Committee. We're here with Dr. Lakshin to talk about a key question that comes up. How do I know if it's really psoriasis or some other skin disease? Welcome, Dr. Lakshin. Could you please talk about the typical diagnosis of psoriasis? What characteristics do you, as a dermatologist, look for? Psoriasis classically can be uh, very easy to diagnose as uh, certain areas are commonly affected, including just above the, the buttocks, elbows, knees, and scalp. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes the condition doesn't read the books, and there are less traditional areas of involvement. Psoriasis can involve pretty much any site and have a number of different morphologies. Uh, well, we've heard from some people that they're not sure if they have psoriasis or atopic dermatitis. But what are the key differences between these two diseases? Let's first take a minute to talk about what to look for in terms of what a psoriasis plaque looks like traditionally. They're well-circumscribed, scaly red uh, plaques um, that when the scale is pulled off can oftentimes uh, have pinpoint bleeding. Eczema, on the other hand, are less well-defined, uh, thinner plaques, sometimes with excoriations or scratches with accompanying thickening of the skin. Psoriasis plaques, like I had mentioned previously, traditionally can involve the elbows and knees, as opposed to eczema, which can involve the opposite locations, anti-cubital fossa and popliteal fossas. In normal English, that's the uh, elbow, in front of the elbows and behind the knees. And let's talk about triggers a little bit. Uh, what are the triggers for atopic dermatitis versus psoriasis, and are they similar? That's a good question. Uh, many of these triggers are similar. Uh, we'll start in broad brushstrokes. Uh, seasons can sometimes cause exacerbation of disease for both eczema and psoriasis. Wintertime tends to bring on flares of psoriasis as well as uh, eczema. Stress can be a player as well, uh, in addition some medications. Unique features of, of each of these are eczema patients tend to have a higher sensitivity to contact allergens, so there can be other environmental triggers uh, that can cause this. There are some unique medications that can trigger uh, psoriasis that don't trigger uh, atopic dermatitis, including uh, beta blockers uh, and other various medications. And uh, going back to eczema a little bit, um, are there other forms of eczema? And if so, what are they? There are various forms of eczema, uh, some of which share many similarities with psoriasis. The most common uh, form that is often mistaken for psoriasis is numular eczema. Numular in Latin means coin-like. So these coin-like uh, plaques 
can mimic psoriasis in terms of location and clinical morphology and how they look. Other forms of eczema include a winter eczema or a dry skin variant called eczema crackley, uh, which looks like a dry riverbed, which is less well circumscribed, typically not mistaken for uh, psoriasis. Another form of eczema includes uh, hand eczema. Uh, hand eczema can be very difficult to distinguish between uh, psoriasis, as clinically and histologically they can share many of the same morphologies. This is one of the situations where a biopsy may not be uh, beneficial. And oftentimes we are uh, in a position where we're looking for other clues on the body to help us direct ourselves towards one diagnosis of the other. So looking for other areas in the body that have classic psoriasis manifestations, including the scalp, elbows, knees, belly button, as well as nail changes can help us uh, come to the diagnosis of psoriasis versus uh, eczema in this situation. There are other conditions, which we'll get to a little bit later, that also can mimic psoriasis. And so since psoriasis and eczema appear similarly, are treatment options the same for both? Treatment options are broken down into two main categories, topical therapies as well as systemic therapies. Focusing on topical therapies first, many of these treatments uh, are with topical steroids and calcineurone inhibitors, uh, both of which uh, can be used to treat eczema and psoriasis. The topical immunomodulators or calcineurone inhibitors, including tacrolimus and permecrolimus, uh, both are uh, good for sensitive areas, including the groin uh, and face, and topical steroids can be used on non-sensitive areas. Moving on to systemic therapies, uh, many of the targeted therapies that are newer to the market are specifically targeted to treat certain key cytokines or messengers that are unique to either psoriasis or eczema. Some of the older therapies, which tend to be broader in terms of their immunosuppression, uh, can treat both, including methotrexate, cyclosporin, and prednisone. We tend not to treat patients uh, with psoriasis with uh, bursts of prednisone uh, as they can flare, but prednisone will temporarily quiet psoriasis and eczema. And the improvement uh, seen with systemic steroids should not direct uh, a, a patient or a physician towards one diagnosis or another. Great, that's really informative. So switching gears here to another skin disease that often gets misdiagnosed, uh, can you comment on seborrheic dermatitis? I've heard it may also look like psoriasis or eczema. I tell patients that seborrheic dermatitis is a cousin to psoriasis, and many of the topical treatments that, that are effective for psoriasis uh, are also effective for seborrheic dermatitis. Uh, seborrheic dermatitis is generally confined to the scalp, face, and mid-chest, Unlike psoriasis that has thick, well-defined silvery scaly plaques, these tend to be thinner, pink plaques with fine oily scale. In addition, the borders uh, tend to be uh, less well-defined. In the scalp, there can be some overlap between psoriasis and seborrheic dermatitis, as we call it SIBO psoriasis, uh, which may kind of have some overlap features. In addition to topical steroids and calcineurone inhibitors that we use topically, other medications uh, 
can be uh, good topical therapies for seborrheic dermatitis, including zinc pyrithione, selenium sulfide, and anti-yeast medications uh, like uh, ketoconazole or cyclopyrox. Sounds like the cousin you don't want to have. Uh, so let's talk about flakes associated with dandruff. How are they different from the diseases we've discussed so far? Dandruff in general doesn't have a significant amount of underlying erythema or redness uh, in the scalp. In addition, uh, seborrheic dermatitis uh, oftentimes will have the accompanying erythema and fine oily scale on the middle of the eyebrows and the nasal alar sulci, which are the grooves next to the sides of your nose. Dandruff and seborrheic dermatitis both are somewhat responsive to the shampoos that I previously mentioned, including ones that have selenium sulfide or zinc pyrithione. And what about lichen planus, which is also characterized by itchy reddish purple skin lesions? What makes this disease different from the ones you've already discussed? Lichen planus classically is fairly easy to differentiate from psoriasis, but there are some hypertrophic or thicker variants that do share some clinical features with psoriasis. Classically, lichen planus is defined as the four P's, including polygonal, which means that they're angled, planar, which means they're flat, pyritic, and purple papules. These oftentimes can uh, involve various sites, but classically the volar wrists, which is the uh, skin adjacent to the palms, can be affected. Findings in the mouth can also be seen as oral lichen planus can oftentimes accompany uh, cutaneous or skin lichen planus. Remember to always consider the mouth as manifestations of psoriasis can also occur in the mouth which look significantly different than what we see with lichen planus. Many of the changes of psoriasis that we see in the mouth are noted on the tongue, something that we call a geographic tongue where the findings of lichen planus are often on the buccal mucosa, the insides of your cheeks. Lichen planus is generally accompanied with significant itch, uh, where psoriasis is not defined with as much itch as we see with lichen planus, even though both can have itching that accompanies it. Another lichen that we get asked a lot about is lichen sclerosis. Is that different from lichen planus? Lichen sclerosis uh, is significantly different in terms of how we um, diagnose it clinically. I feel that lichen planus and lichen sclerosis are not often confused, but some features of lichen sclerosis can be confused with psoriasis, especially in the genital area. And as I said earlier, lichen planus and psoriasis can be confused. So. The features of lichen sclerosis often are more of a atrophy, thinning of the skin, and a cigarette paper-like pink appearance, um, in the, oftentimes in the genital area. Um, but lichen sclerosis can occur in non-genital areas. Uh, once again, they're usually pink, thin, uh, what we call atrophic uh, plaques. Uh, not the thick, silvery, scaly plaques that we see. And are there other diseases that could look like psoriasis? Broadly, uh, psoriasis falls under the category of papulosquamous eruptions. Papule means raised, squamous means scaly. So what are other things that are raised and scaly that could be in our differential? 
Well, common things include some of the things that we talked about, including lichen planus. Um, but other conditions are kind of fall into two categories when we talk about differentials. One is the acute uh, diagnosis versus the chronic. Some acute conditions, uh, including pityriasis rosea, um, can be mistaken for psoriasis early on as they are uh, oval-shaped scaly plaques on the trunk, um, oftentimes preceded with one larger lesion called a herald patch. Uh, this is, uh, tends to be self-limited, uh, lasting only about 8 to 12 weeks. Other conditions that are less frequently uh, seen uh, that deserve consideration are pityriasis rubra pilaris, or PRP. Uh, these tend to be more confluent scaly plaques that are uh, oftentimes salmon color and are defined by what we call islands of sparing. This too can also have a predominant uh, palmar plantar component, meaning involving the palms and soles. Lastly, we should always consider um, a condition called cutaneous T-cell lymphoma or mycosis fungoides. This condition is a, a T-cell cancer uh, that involves the skin. And I tell my colleagues, as well as patients, is if we are not confident of the diagnosis, uh, a biopsy will oftentimes help distinguish uh, some of these features. We talked about the skin for a second. Let's, let's go to some special sites special sites including the nails. There are some nail changes that we see in psoriasis that we can also see in other conditions. Pitting, for example, can be seen with extensive alopecia areata, but this tends to be in a more checkerboard-like appearance, uh, more patterned than what we see with psoriasis. In addition, taking things as a gestalt, as a whole, helps us come to this diagnosis, the diagnosis of psoriasis versus uh, the differentiating diagnosis a little easier. Lastly, forms of eczema, which we talked about, something called lichen simplex chronicus or neurodermatitis uh, can have thickened, uh, somewhat scaly plaques that, that we should consider as well. The last thing I always like to uh, mention is that medications can mimic pretty much any skin finding. So often, it's important to consider a drug history if this is an acute change and think about medications inducing or exacerbating this condition. So it sounds like it could be pretty difficult to know the difference. When should a patient seek a specialist out like yourself? I feel that if you're not getting an adequate response or a definitive diagnosis with your primary care physician, it would be a good idea to seek out the expertise of a board certified dermatologist. As I had mentioned, many times when conditions are classic in nature, the diagnosis is easy. Sometimes this can be very challenging to primary care physicians, and sometimes, as you can uh, hear from some of the subtleties of this condition, can be challenging for dermatologists as well. A biopsy can oftentimes help if we are uh, still having a difficult time uh, coming to a diagnosis, but as I had mentioned earlier, uh, special areas like the palms and soles, a biopsy might not be that helpful. We as dermatologists also have the understanding and we have the very tools that will help us 
most effectively treat this condition in an efficient and streamlined manner. So you talked about a skin biopsy. Are there any other diagnostic tests that can be done to confirm a diagnosis? Other tests that we can employ include a skin scraping, a rip-roaring tinea infection can uh, sometimes also mimic uh, psoriasis. So scraping this uh, can help us immediately identify if there's a fungus. Uh, a clipping of the nail uh, can help identify if there's a toenail uh, fungus or fingernail uh, fungus or yeast. Uh, these are easy to treat and certainly will change the way that we manage patients because treating a patient with a foot fungus with a steroid is like spreading gasoline on a fire. So establishing the right diagnosis is certainly the most important initial approach to effectively treating a patient. And do you have any recommendations for someone who may be experiencing the symptoms we've just discussed but doesn't have access to care? I think we all know that the internet is a very powerful tool, but filtering out some of the data can be challenging. Going to reputable sites like the National Psoriasis Foundation is a tremendous resource, resource for patients with uh, psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In addition, asking your primary care physician uh, for advice or recommendations I think would be very helpful. Unfortunately, there are some underserved areas where there are not enough dermatologists and uh, seeking the advice of your primary care physician and when to make that journey to see the specialist is an important discussion to have. That's great. Um, so in closing, what final words would you like to pass along to people who are confused and not yet sure if they have psoriasis or some other skin disease? If at all possible, seek out a board-certified dermatologist to help establish the diagnosis. If a diagnosis is not straightforward or not responding appropriately to therapy, a biopsy is a very good idea in many situations. There is no shame in getting a second opinion. Uh, any of our colleagues that are comfortable with the care they provide would be more than happy for you to seek a second opinion if you're not getting the results that you feel are acceptable or not getting the information that you feel is uh, enough to help you make a, an appropriate decision in what avenue to travel down and what treatments to pursue. Great. Well, this is all really helpful information. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and attention. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Soundbites on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.